the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back. Tuesday, May 16th, 2023. I am Seth Liebson, David Dahls in the producer's chair. i got Bill to my right and uh, barrier to entry for everyone else. Barrier to entry for everyone else is 602 The secret but truth and legacy or mainstream media or what I'm beginning to think of as cartelized communication is that CNN, MSNBC, and the network's storyboard, their stories of the day, or at least their popular morning shows by what the New York Times prints, drives, commences the day with. If you sometimes find a liberal left news loop or repetition of covering the same stories, that's why their wholesale source tends to be and usually is the New York Times. They all play off it. So I was curious as to what and how the New York Times covered the exoneration of Donald Trump and his 2016 campaign and the entire warp and woof of the Russian collusion story. Here's how the New York Times covered it this morning. The main front page center story, the main story above the fold is about the election in Turkey, not America, Turkey, and not about a man from New York, Turkey. Under that center page is a story on the closing of the Friars Club. Important, maybe, perhaps not as important as the 2016 election. Durham report. The other main story at the top of the right-hand column is about how certain players in the GOP engage in using a fundraising loophole in the tax code and market with robocalls. The top story on the left side of the paper is a story about how the border crisis is not as crisis-ridden as predicted. Then finally, lower right-hand column, you get the Durham story. At least give the New York Times some credit. The Arizona Republic, owned by the major media outlet Gannett, had no, zero, null set, nothing on the Durham report. CNN has deep-sixed it completely from their website, though for some reason find it important to have a story up on Britney Spears' husband. Dennis Prager routinely will tell you that when it comes to media bias, it's just as often what the media doesn't print as what it does that will constitute such bias. So if you try a Google search using three words, you can do it on your own if you like. Three words, Trump, campaign, and Russia, and then confine the search to the years between 2015 and 2020, you get an overwhelming and seemingly infinite series of stories with headlines like the following, quote, Senate panel details ties between 2016 Trump campaign and Russia. That's from the New York Times as late as 2020. From 2017, the New York Times has, quote, Trump campaign aides had repeated contacts with Russian operatives, close quote. AP has a 2020 story headlined, quote, Trump campaign contacts with Russia, a grave threat, close quote. I could go on and on and on. And you know, I could because you lived through it. And all those headlines and the stories within them are now proven wrong. 
monumentally wrong, the opposite of true, truly fake news. What intrigues is what the Google results would be on a search of the Durham exoneration and indictment of the FBI. You know, let's call the whole story what it is, collusion between the FBI and the Clinton campaign. What would the Google search results on that be five years from now? Far more anemic, if not simply anemic, compared to Trump campaign and Russia over the past five years. And that's how it's done. That's how narratives are created and solidified and stories and history are burned into amber. You know what my worry about news, politics and narratives has always been. What is it we are supposed to expect of people, normal people? They may generally be moderate or generally moderately liberal or generally moderately conservative, but generally not regular listeners to talk radio or, let's say, subscribers to The Wall Street Journal. They're just going on about their lives, normal people. In a country of 260 million adults, The Wall Street Journal has about 4 million readers. And who knows how many of those readers even get to the editorial page, which is the conservative part of the Wall Street Journal. The news sections of the Wall Street Journal are just like the New York Times. In other words, you have four-tenths of one percent of the adult population in America that may read the Wall Street Journal editorial page. So what are we expected, normal, non-political people, what are we expecting them to know and believe about politics? They may listen to NPR or see local news or Facebook or Twitter or some such. And if they do, keep in mind what they see on Facebook or Twitter will typically be confirmation biased news. That is to say, news stories from people they agree with ab initio or the New York Times or NPR or something like that, because they come with a reputation of straight down the middle when they are, in fact, not straight down the middle anymore. No more than a scam artist or a confidence artist is credible. But they convey credibility to the vast majority of American voters. What are we to expect from normal people who are conned, taken in by all that? Now, it's actually worse than the echo chamber I outlined, given the New York Times, NPR, CBS pipeline or cartel, because increasing numbers of and in fact, most people are getting their news from social media. And if your social media is, say, Facebook, which includes about 200 million Americans, what you glean from the news or as news is actively censored, not just from on high regarding sources from, say, conservative commentators, but from average, normal and often simply curious citizens who can't send to their friends certain stories. We've spoken about the lab leak out of the ivory towers known as our universities and how they have created an archetypal loop, archetypal loop of education catechism soaked in leftism, anti-conservatism and anti-Americanism and how they have shaped the teachers in our elementary and secondary schools. But the handmaiden of their work is today's media. Getting at the customer base that hasn't been to school or hasn't been to school in a long time, shall we say. I'm not positive as to what the best or highest rated journalism school in America is. And I've thought I'd have thought maybe in years past or maybe it was the Columbia School of Journalism or the University of Missouri. But a lot of websites point to the Medill School of Journalism at Northwestern. If it's not the first or the most uh, respected journalism school, it's top three. And I went to their website to see how they define what they are endowed to teach. It's interesting. 
It's not what you get from the journalist's creed that came out of the Missouri School about a century ago, posted at the National Press Club. It's not, as that creed says, among other things, quote, I believe that the public journal is a public trust, that all connected with it are to the full measure of their responsibility trustees for the public, that acceptance of a lesser service than the public service is a betrayal of this trust. I believe that clear thinking and clear statement, accuracy and fairness are fundamental to good journalism, close quote. That's the journalist's creed, at least used to be. Clear thinking, accuracy, fairness, all fundamental. So I looked at the website of the Northwestern School of Journalism, and I didn't have to go far. Its very front page states, quote, We are training a new generation of multimedia journalists and integrated marketing communications professionals who are finding new ways to understand audiences and not only thriving in this exciting new landscape, but also helping to shape it, close quote. Aha, Eureka, there it is, to shape it. To shape something is to change, bend, or even convert it. It reminded me of what Karl Marx said was his concept of history and philosophy when he wrote, the philosophers have only interpreted the world in various ways. The point is to change it. The point is to change it for the cause. Not inform, not accuracy, not fairness. Change, bend, persuade, and convert. Just as the head of CNN said last week that their task is to make news. Not inform, not be accurate, not be fair. Make, generate. This might be a good time to remind that Andrew McCabe, lambasted as he is is for his unprofessionalism in the Durham report, is a paid CNN contributor. The leftist professor at MIT, Noam Chomsky, some years ago wrote a book titled Manufacturing Consent. In his introduction, this is how he wrote up how it is done. Quote, it is our view that Among their other functions, the media serve and propagandize on behalf of the powerful societal interests that control and finance them. The representatives of these interests have important agendas and principles that they want to advance, and they are well positioned to shape and constrain media policy. This is normally not accomplished by crude intervention, but by selection of right-thinking personnel and by the editors and working journalists' internalization of priorities and definitions of newsworthiness that conform to the institution's policy, close quote. Professor Chomsky called this the propaganda model. He and his book were hugely popular when the media was owned by corporate interests that tilted conservative, which was back in the 1980s. Corporate interests no longer list Starbird, but rather now port side and far port side, much farther port side than they ever were conservative or starboard. I mean, the worst you could say about GE and its ownership of NBC in the 1980s was that it believed in capitalism. That's as far right as it got. The truth of it today is that almost all the corporations that own almost all the mainstream media outlets or the communications cartel traffic in Marxist ideology with outlets that actually parrot Marxist organizational mantras and publish encomiums and hagiographies of Karl Marx. Has the propaganda model been disappeared or has it just been taken over? The question answers itself. Anyway, that's how they do it. And what we need to remember daily in figuring out how we are going to counter it, that's what we need to remember. How are we going to counter it? Maybe we need a new dictionary and definition of journalism. 
Because guess what, folks? We don't have journalism here anymore. What we have is something much closer to screw tape where he said, do remember, you are there to fuddle him. Fuddle. Love that word. Keep it in mind next time you see someone claiming to be a practicing journalist. We believe in self-government still here, don't we? Maybe we need to start thinking about self-journalism, too. Just a thought. We believe in self-government, as James Madison tells us in the 39th Federalist paper, because it is the only way to preserve, in his words, quote, the genius of the people of America with the fundamental principles of the revolution or with that honorable determination which animates every votary of freedom, close quote. Why then should we surrender the autonomy of trusting those who supposedly govern the governors, i.e. the media, any more than we should fully trust the government who they supposedly oversee on our behalf? Supposedly being the operative word here, on our behalf, too. That's what the government and press have in common. They both work on our behalf or are supposed to. And we don't surrender fundamental freedoms to the government. So why should we surrender them to their overseers? If we still believe in the genius of the American people and the fundamental principles of the revolution and the votaries of freedom, don't give more credence to so-called journalists than you do the government. They don't deserve it and are no better. Indeed, they are worse, for they are not accountable to votes or remedies like impeachment when they engage in high crimes and misdemeanors. In fact, in giving credence at all, keep in mind the journalists gave up their own creed long ago. They just never told you. I'm Seth Liebson, 602-508-0960. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, 602-508-0960. What do you got a political pin for on today? None Kennedy. Of, that's not a real sentence. <laughs> what? What do you got, David? I said it's Kennedy in 1980. Kennedy, 1980. Yeah, well, you can just repurpose it and cross out the 1980 part and put in 2024 <laughs> all over again. Can, can you see from in the booth, can you see the color of it? I Well, you're, you're green. Green. This brings me to a point that I think we brushed on last week yeah. with uh, Pete McCluskey's pin. Orange, right? orange, yeah. The failure of certain campaigns to adopt patriotic colors with their pins and campaign memorabilia. The only campaign that I have seen to be successful with a non-red and white blue scheme is yeah. Jimmy Carter in 76. Was was Mondale Green in 84? Something tells me it might have been. I think it was sort of a, a callback to the, to you the, know, to well, the old ticket. Yeah, in- yeah. Interesting. Well— there's something I was asked today what I thought of Robert Kennedy's chances by a friend and his uncle, you know, it was his uncle and his father may have written the script for what his chances could be. Um, his father in 1968 was such a spoiler. Uh, he and Gene McCarthy were such a spoiler to the incumbent Lyndon Baines Johnson that he refused to he declined to stand for reelection. Right because of Gene McCarthy and Robert Kennedy's popularity. Um, LBJ didn't, I mean, he declined to run. He was eligible to and didn't, especially even after that trouncing he gave Goldwater four years prior. Um, And then, of course, Ted Kennedy, uh, Robert Jr.'s uncle, Bobby's brother, uh, fought tooth and nail against, is that a phrase, fought tooth and nail? I think so, yep. It's a phrase. I'm getting two thumbs up. I can say tooth and nail. I want to say hammer and tong. Is it fork and tong? What's that phrase? 
Hammer and tongue or fork and tongue? We'll find out on the break. If only there was a way to find out. Anyway, Kennedy fought so hard against Carter in 1980 um, that he, you know, in part weakened Carter. Carter did stand for re-election. Uh, Kennedy didn't uh, do that great against him, but you know, Kennedy was a big name and t- t- took took a bite out of him. He sure fought hard. Yeah, he uh, fought hard. He gave that hell of a speech, if he, and if he knew what he was fighting for. Yeah, and in part, I mean, yeah. you know, yes, Reagan don't take anything from his great candidacy and campaign, but in part, a weakened Carter was running against a Ronald Reagan, who Ted Kennedy had pointed out for six or eight months was a supremely weak president. So I don't know if Robert Kennedy Jr. will have that effect on Joe Biden. But I will tell you, as as a veteran of a few presidential campaigns that I've been involved in, and as anyone who reads polls knows, uh, it's pretty darn rare to start off a campaign in double digits, uh, which Robert Kennedy Jr. did do. Uh, so what was it, 14 points or 16 points? And then it went up to close to 20 points. Now, I don't know if that's a ceiling for him, but... Uh, there was an interesting column in today's uh, National uh, Review by one of the greatest speechwriters in the world, a guy named Matt Scully, uh, who I think does live here. As last I checked, last I ran into him was here. He was living here. He is a gifted, gifted wordsmith. But he had a piece on Robert Kennedy at National Review. It's worth reading um, because his point is the media is doing to him what it kind of – worked to a fairly well with Donald Trump or really, for that matter, anything Republican or really, for that matter, anything common sense about COVID. The media doesn't listen to his speeches, doesn't read his book. His book sold over a million copies. His book on COVID sold over a million copies, never made the New York Times bestseller list, never got a review in the New York Times. Uh, Scully's thesis is if you were to read it and check out the footnotes, you'd know why the New York Times didn't want to review it. But they just repeat the same thing over and over again, is, which is that he believes kooky things. And 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 I just you just got to step back and say, well, I know he believes kooky things. First of all, you know, we being conservatives, let's not expect a Democrat to not be a Democrat. He is a Democrat, after all. He is a Kennedy, after all. He is a Democrat. Let's not expect him to be a Republican. That's thing one. Thing two is if we want to get into a discussion about who believes in kooky things, boy, I can give you a list of the left and their beliefs that are far kookier, far kookier than anything Robert Kennedy Jr. believes. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. John Dombrowski is the founder and president of Grand Canyon Planning Associates. GrandCanyonPlanning.com is his website. Great place to reach him. He also has his own radio show heard every Saturday morning right here at 7 a.m. It's called The Word on Wealth. John, how are you today? Fantastic. You sound awful chipper today. I am chipper. (laughs) I'm chipper because I have been changing policies at the office. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've been doing human resources work around here. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, sort of. I'm improving life. 
Oh, well, that sounds great. Yes, I love it. Improving life. All right. Uh, speaking of um, something that could go the other way if it doesn't happen, M- Kevin McCarthy, Speaker of the House, uh, walked out of the White House uh, about an hour, a couple hours ago. Okay. And he is now saying that um, looks like they may have a deal on the debt ceiling by the end of the week. Boy, now that is some amazing news if yeah. that's the case. Yeah. I mean, that would be uh, that would be a, a great boost to the uh, to the. What I've perceived to be at the moment, a lot of negativity out there for yeah. this uh, economy and the market. Yeah, there has been a lot of hand-wringing, um, and some of it doesn't have to do with this. Some of it does. Well, right. one of the stories, one of the interesting stories, home builder sentiment pulls out mm-hmm. of negative territory for the first time in nearly a year. Do we take this as good news, too? Well, uh, you know, it's interesting because as I, as I read through this this uh, article, yeah. w- it talked a lot about what we had already talked about, how mm-hmm. we have a lot of people that are kind of in the golden handcuffs or kind of caught in this uh, situation to where maybe they want to move. They want to get a bigger home yeah. or they want to move to a different location, but they have a 3% mortgage or whatever it might be. And they say, my God, if I sell my house, I can't possibly right. even buy something similar or bigger right. and you know afford a 6% or 7% rate on my, my home. Uh, loan. Uh, so I have to stay where I'm at. And what this is forcing people to do is it's creating this shortage of housing in the resale market. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what's now happening is is it's creating uh, a bit of a bump higher for the new home builders. Mm-hmm. And so we saw this uh, bump up for their – actually, it was the fourth or fifth month, but it's the first positive. Anything above – any 50, 50 or above uh, in the um, report. You know, in this type of uh, the way they catalog this uh, shows that it's a positive. And in this case, it hit 50 in May. And according to the National Association of Home Builders, this is positive now uh, that this uh, indicator has gone. So that's a good thing for them. Yeah. So now one of the things they're doing, too, which is good, is, is they're giving some of the builders are giving incentives too, Seth, uh, buying down the interest rates. Mm-hmm. And that's helping people get into this. Uh, but that's why we're seeing this positive news is that uh, there's just very lean existing home market, uh, resale market is what it's stating here. Do we uh, connect this or worry at all that uh, retailer like Home Depot is showing, mm. yeah. I think, something uh, yeah. like its worst revenue in two decades maybe? Yeah, no, it, it is, is that, interesting. Is that, is that implicated here a little bit too? You know, it, it's kind of the opposite of what you think, right? Yeah. Because we have home builder sentiments is higher, and yeah. yet you're seeing these people that uh, maybe aren't going to be buying things anymore <laughs> yeah. in Home Depot yeah. to do repairs on their home. So, yeah, it's kind of a strange scenario, and I, I'm going to be talking about that again on my show too this weekend. Uh, home Depot did come out with uh, some poor numbers and also uh, they're all talking about uh, moving forward that things are going to get a little little bit difficult for them moving forward so uh, not a very positive report from Home Depot and I'm probably going to hear uh, from other retailers as well that yeah Target that will report down. tomorrow yeah. perhaps now s- somehow I guess they're slightly different consumer bases yeah. yes okay all right but still it's retail in general and uh, there's some crossover there yeah all right all right good and then the other thing uh, we're going to need to talk about um, is this ongoing story about uh, retail sales in general, because it looks like they were up overall, right, right, in April. And that, I mean, things are looking, seems to me, just a little bit better. Yeah, and what's interesting, we talked about debt, though, too, yesterday. Yeah. And so you've got a lot of individuals that's out what, there. That's how they're debt. doing it. <laughs> and that's why the retail sales are up, because debt so, is too. But if we do get, hey, if we get this uh, this debt ceiling issue uh, you know, 
deal done. Yeah. Uh, this is going to be a win for uh, the for the country. Yeah, good. So I'm hoping that uh, we can get this thing done. Well, I'm hoping so, too, and yeah. I don't know what the contours are exactly. I'm glad McCarthy, Speaker McCarthy, is focusing on involving uh, a reduction on dependency on China. I mean, mm-hmm. I think all of this could be very good. It looks like, I mean, you know, we've been saying we've seen this story so many times, right. and the Republicans get rolled so many times on these things. Maybe not here. I mean, just giving what he's saying today, maybe not. So hey, I'm, I'm a little more optimistic. It's baby steps, but it's, you know, uh, even a little win is a win. I'll take it, yeah. too. Thank yeah. you, John. Securities and advisory services offered through Creative One Securities LLC, a member of Henry Zipic, and an investment advisor, Grand King and Plenty Associates LLC, and Creative One Securities LLC are not affiliated. Thank you, guys. Talk tomorrow. Talk to you later, John. Yep. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, 602-508-0960. I see Steve Hayward's uh, talking about media accountability, too, over at Powerline. Um, He does what we did. He had that one line from Jake Tapper on CNN yesterday. Uh, Boy, they just deep-sixed it so fast, though, didn't they? they? And then he writes, Hayward does, will there be any accountability for the media for their part in this travesty? Will the Washington Post or New York Times give back their Pulitzer Prizes for their relentlessly reported stories that turned out to be false? Yes, of course we know the answer to this. Whatever happened to the media holding the government accountable for lies? Yes, we know the answer to this too. The mainstream media decided to sign up fully with one team, and it's not the one that prizes truth and independence, but it does get them Pulitzer Prizes. Staff at the New York Times and the Washington Post, of course, were the 2018 Pulitzer Prize Winners in national reporting for their coverage of everything that we now know, well, we all knew, but has now been proven to be untrue. Um, Boy, the speed at which these stories go. Do you see how fast? Who's that uh, Blumenthal, that senator from Connecticut, a loathsome senator from Connecticut, Blumenthal was, um, I saw the uh, routine of interviews of Democrats on what they thought of the Durham report. And Blumenthal said, like they're all saying, seemingly, that this is one big nothing. Um, Blumenthal said, by Friday, we won't even be talking about Durham. And, you know, it might be the first time Blumenthal's ever said something I am inclined to agree with. The, 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 the rate and speed at which these things come and go is impossible for them to have, by definition practically, any staying power. Um, You know, we're kept in such a frenzied and busy state one after the other. I mean, what was the big story that was dominating everything last week? Just last Friday, the big story that was dominating everything. It was the arrest of... uh, Daniel Penny in New York, right? And this, I kind of thought, uh, the 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 uh, the guy who um, who who held down uh, the 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 um, the uh, the homeless man on uh, in New York. I thought, silly me, that that story was going to be a huge national conversation for a long time the way Bernie Getz was 
in the 80s. The the way these things get into songs and get into forums on vigilantism or non-vigilantism or crime. I thought it was going to be a big conversation. The death of Jordan Neely at the and the arrest of Daniel Penny. It's just gone. But then again, you know, you could have done that with the James Comer story a couple days before that. Certainly Donald Trump's town hall on CNN is far in the rearview mirror. Farther still, obviously, not only because of the march of time, but just any seemingly seeming interest in it, were the classified documents found at three different locations in Joe Biden's personal possession. Where did that go? And I know I see it occasionally, mostly in the New York Times and on CNN, once in a while, an effort to oust Russia from Ukraine. But that was a huge national conversation, too, that just disappeared or was deep-sixed. I mean... The rate and speed has several negative effects on us. One is, yes, obviously major, major stories that just don't get the attention they deserve, which, by the way, should raise its own series of questions. What's going on in the interstices here? What's going on in the lack of conversation and the lack of attention that is being paid to these things? Devil's Workshop is my guess. That's my guess. That's one thing. The other is, most of these stories, if attention were rightly paid and rightly focused and rightly attended to, would lean into conservative directions or conservative conclusions. I mean, the more you look into the situation of Jordan Neely and the more you look into what Daniel Penny and his uh, Confederates did, the more rational it becomes. The more you look into Joe Biden and the classified documents, the more suspicious it becomes. The more you look into the Biden family income from foreign sources, the more suspicious that becomes. It is not in the liberal left mind's interest for us to have focus and attention paid to these stories. That's that's certainly the other part of this. And then the third part is just how healthy it is for us to be so frenzied all the time, in such a state of anxiety all the time. Now, we haven't even talked about two other major stories. Former deputy director of the F of the CIA for political purposes ginning up that letter from the 51 intelligence officials who all knew they were doing it for political purposes. Have you seen the letter? Look at the letter from Morrill to Clapper. He says, email, he says in the email, the deputy uh, director of the CIA, Morrill, to James Clapper, former head of national intelligence, he says... We need you to sign on to this to help for the upcoming debate between Joe Biden and Donald Trump. He's, they, they, 
we should be amazed at the elaborateness of their thinking they don't even need to hide this stuff. That's not a great sentence. We should be amazed at how little they think they even need to conceal this stuff from us. They can just act with reckless abandon on these things because why? Because they know they can. They know they can. If I were a Republican candidate for president, I'd run on ending national security clearances for all former employees of the FBI and the CIA tomorrow. Well, not tomorrow, but January 21st, 2025. The abuse they used, their sacred security clearances, their sacred and vetted security clearances for, for raw political purposes and gain, for raw power and ideology, not national security ideology. You think we're more nationally secure with Biden? It's another point. 602-508-0960. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Trivial question, what member of that group, Orleans, served in Congress? Other trivia question, what song did you play? This is a song for you. This is a trivia question for you, uh, uh, David. What um, what song did you play in our bumper? Well, it answers itself. But did you know that that Beach Boys song, God Only Knows, 1966 Pet Sounds, do you know that was the first popular song to use God in the title? Did you know that? No, I did not, but I love that album. It was an issue, actually. Really? Yeah. It was, it was a, they broke a taboo with that. Uh, I think it ends up being fine and respectful, and it's a beautiful song. Mm-hmm. And yeah, no, that album was uh, Pet Sounds was revolutionary. Definitely. And uh, Wrecking Crew, right? You've not seen the Wrecking Crew documentary yet, have you? No, I haven't. Yeah, it needs to be. That needs to be re- rectified. Okay, okay. The Wrecking Crew. You will love know. it. It's everything you are about. <laughs> It's more about you than you are. Okay. <laughs> you, uh, you've you got, it's your, yes, you need to see it. I will, I will. Yeah. Six zero two five zero eight zero nine six zero. I want to talk to you about a great column uh, DeRoy Murdoch wrote. And, um, and I also want to talk about what the Biden record is and why is it seemingly so hard for conservatives to break through on exposing the Biden record. But I also want to talk to you about Daniel Penny a little bit more. Uh, Peachy Keenan wrote a piece uh, for The Federalist on um, on his arrest. And let's not let him, too, become a political prisoner. Yes, I know we, we have a lot of issues with the idea of political prisoners in this country. But Let's let's when we when we when we come back in the next hour, I want to do that, too. And and the border. Why is the New York Times get away with saying, as they do today, the same thing Mayorkas and Biden wants you to know and says no problems, nothing to see here. Why is there no discussion of child migrants as there was during the Trump presidency? Do you realize that you have illegal children working in this country 
in ways that not even Charles Dickens would have been able to write about and the conditions they are working in. It's really an incredible unreported story, incredible unreported story, the use and abuse of illegal immigrant children. Yes, we know Odin would talk about, obviously, the worst crime, which is the sex slavery, but the boys, who aren't as subject to it as the women, are subject to illegal labor, too. You know, if we just have to be the mainstream media, we will be. I mean, if we just have to focus on the stories that they used to think were important when it was a Republican in charge... Maybe that's what's fallen to us. 602-508-0960. We'll be right back. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 